In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes one of his most quoted sayings, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In his letter, Paul writes about two ethnic groups, Jews and Gentiles, coming together for the first time under the common lordship of Jesus. For this to work, these new apprentices of Jesus would have to actively pursue unity through humility, generosity, through everyone embracing their unique gifts and vocations to serve and love one another well. And to embody loving unity, there would have to be some kind of spiritual solidarity. If someone in the family of God is celebrating, even when you don't much feel like a party, you celebrate with them. If someone is hurting, you take on their hurt and carry it as well. It only makes sense given that all of this is based on the example of Jesus of Nazareth, who deliberately takes on the anxiety, sin, and suffering of the world as a gesture of self-sacrificial love. Mourning with those who mourn is about more than just solidarity. It's about allowing yourself to experience pain in our world. Not to wallow, but to replenish our capacity for empathy. One way disciples of Jesus have trained themselves for exactly this is through the ancient art of fasting. Fasting is a way for us to respond to significant moments in our lives and in the world. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight puts it this way, the focus of the Bible on fasting is not on what we get from fasting or on motivating people to fast in order to acquire something, but instead lands squarely on responding to sacred moments in life. Fasting enters into how God interprets, experiences, understands, and explains significant events. Fasting, in fact, enters into God's pathos or into what God thinks and feels about death, sin, war, violence, and injustice. So when we fast, we wind up an alarm clock inside our own bodies that we know will sound throughout the time without food or drink. When the alarm of hunger pangs rings out, we pause, pray, and remember the hurting in our family and community. We ask God to translate this gesture of hunger into a deeper understanding of those in pain or in need. And out of that, we can be compelled to act, even through the fasting. An early Christian writing drafted prior to the second century called The Shepherd of Hermas offers advice on how fasting can be converted into generosity. After refraining from bread and water, the Christian is to, quote, estimate the cost of food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way, that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his own soul and pray to the Lord for you. End quote. This week, consider a day for fasting. There's no biblical time limit for fasting, but ordinarily in the Bible and throughout church history, fasting has been done for about 12 hours, sun up to sundown, meaning you skip two meals in a 24-hour period. Wake up, go without breakfast or lunch, and then have a late dinner. Depending on your circumstances, you might adjust this a bit one way or another. Consider taking a portion of your finances you might have spent on those meals, even if it's very small, and donate it to a charitable cause or use it to buy dinner for a friend in need. If you choose to fast, use your hunger like an alarm. When it sounds, pray something like this. Father, I am hungry. Will you show me your hunger for justice? Impress upon me the great need in my family, my community, your world. Lead me away from apathy and indifference. 
Train me in the ways of empathy for your sake. Receive my hunger as a prayer. Amen.